Hey, folks, we got some really great episodes and videos coming up for you here as part of this pod venture. Honestly, some of my personal favorite content we have ever produced. Really great stuff. Before we do that, there's a couple disclaimers. First off, just a little one we'll throw out. This has been done over the course of 2020, which, as we know, there's been shutdowns all over the place. It feels like an eternity. If you hear anything that's uh, somewhat repetitive over the course of these episodes or you see any odd inconsistencies, it's just because there was so much of a gap between each of the videos and podcasts that we shot. So keep that in mind. Now, the other thing is, of course, being that we're going to be discussing the topics of self-defense, home defense, other things of that nature, we're talking about some pretty serious stuff that if you find yourself, which we hope you never do, in the worst-case scenario, it can have some pretty big legal or emotional ramifications and other consequences, depending on how you act and what you do. Now, we are all in different areas with different laws, and also we are not, Mark and I, nor anybody at the Vortex Edge Academy here that we have, that we trained at, uh, professional lawyers. So don't take anything said in these podcasts or videos as 100% factual law. It will vary in our own interpretations of laws and things like that, and the way we word them may not be perfect. So do not take them as instructions for how to handle a situation you may find yourself in. These episodes were created with the intention of giving our listeners great food for thought and a prepared mindset to be ready for anything, not to be legal advice or material to reference in any sort of legal situation. Should you wish to practice some of the things we've done here, please exercise extreme caution, as always, with firearms or physical training, and we highly suggest seeking professional training in a professional facility like Vortex Edge right here at our facility in Barneville, Wisconsin. And surely there's going to be more news on just what that is and how to sign up for things like that coming in due time. So now that i got to kind of the uh, cover our own you-know-what out of the way, Enjoy the videos and podcasts here. Let us know what you think in the comments on the YouTube videos or on Instagram. Thanks, everybody. Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. What's up, everybody? We are... Oh my gosh, Mark, it's been a while, actually. We're just going to throw this out there for all you folks who you might be following along with this pod venture here. We started off on the right foot, and then the world went into a tailspin for a few months there, and now we're kind of back, and uh, we're going to carry on with this. So actually, we kind of have to do a little bit of figuring as to where we last left off, but essentially, the gist of this pod venture is that Mark and I want to better ourselves as shooters. Better ourselves not only in the physical act of shooting, which there are a lot of fundamentals and things which we're going to kind of go into with Pete and Justin across the table from us, both from Vortex Edge here, but also there's a lot of, um, you know, just mental aspects to this and and actually putting real-world thoughts and, you know, strategies or just things to consider, mixing them in with the firearm training that we've been doing. So where we last left off, we had done pistols, handguns, mm-hmm. and uh, Mark and I learned a ton. I know we did a class with these guys. It was uh, it was very eye opening. I found pistols being a great place to start for uh, a lot of shooters, and 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 if you can get good at that, you know you can you can really learn and hone the skills in other disciplines as well. But mm-hmm. Now we're on to carbines, mm-hmm. rifles, AR-15s in particular is what we shot at this last class of the class. 
that Mark and I took with these guys has already happened, and we're going to go through and kind of discuss all that stuff. Um, So, yeah. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for training us as well. Yes, thank Um, you very much. I got to say, so rifle, rifle training and rifles in general is something that I take for granted big time. And we're going to have some video stuff of this. You're going to see some of our class that we took uh, if you head over to YouTube and whatnot uh, on, on our channel. But, you know, I think that was pretty evident when we got there. And, and you know, I'm thinking to myself, right, oh, yeah, we're going to learn all this carbine training stuff. We're going to learn where, you know, uh, we're going to be doing barrel rolls. We're going to be running around, like, shooting around barricades. Ninja and, flips. Yeah, ninja flips, exactly. Really fast tactical mag changes because everybody knows if you watch Instagram enough, you know, slow-mo mag changes are, are what gets the mm, likes. Mm, mm. Um, so anyway, but we went in and like immediately started out with zeroing and just fundamentally just shooting mm-hmm. for groups. And, you know, when you have this, you know, this AR-15, which is capable of semi-automatic fire and, you know, and, and, and good accuracy, and then you get in the prone position and you're trying to shoot for groups and you got to shoot 10 shots and be good 10 times and keep it in a relatively small black circle at 50 yards, all of a sudden, hey, this is, there's maybe a little bit more to this than we originally thought. What you guys were commenting, you see a lot, with a lot of people. And yes. you guys do a lot of shooting yeah. yourselves. Yes. So... You know, we, we started you off down there. We wanted to get a good zero. And when we have, a, like, a like a class of 10 people, um, some people are zeroed faster than others. And what I tell guys, it's like, don't worry. We will get to the really cool stuff. But what you're doing right now is probably the most important thing you'll do all day. And, and you, you guys kind of saw it when you were at the end of the day. You, you have to be able to, on demand, consistently play shots where you want them. And it's just it's basic rifle marksmanship. We're in the prone. We're just concentrating on the fundamentals, and we're just on demand, time after time. We're just dropping rounds where they need to need to. Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I mean, everything. I mean, that zero is the true baseline, right? Yep. Because if you are trying to do maybe some of this other stuff, maybe some of the more advanced stuff, or you know, some movements, which we got to a little bit later. If you don't, if you're if you're not one hundred percent positive that you have a good zero, you can't really tell if you're doing something right or wrong as you progress through the training. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, you're like, am I off or is my gun off? So I think you just got to know that that gun's on. Right. It's always a good thing to go back to as well to get your mind centered and ready for what you're about to do. Because when you're zeroing, you got to slow down. You got to mm-hmm. concentrate. You're not racing against the clock, nothing. You're just trying to shoot a good group. And uh, that's a lot of what we did when we did our training. It was a lot of, like, shooting groups. And, I mean, we, we implemented some of the stuff from standing positions and, you know, the... Uh, the shot timer going off and, you know, you, you trying to engage the target accurately in a, in a relatively uh, efficient, I'll say, not necessarily fast. Although, I mean, it ends up being hopefully you can get faster, yada, yada. We'll, we'll get into a lot of that. Uh, but we, we did stuff like that. But a, a ton of it was shooting groups and just trying to be as accurate as possible. And, um, and yeah, like I said, that's not always the sexiest thing. But if you can't do that, how can you ever expect to do any of the, you know, super super fast, high speed. Like I tell people, if you get really good at shooting accurately, reload doesn't come, it's really not that important. (laughs) You know what I mean? If if, if you get really efficient with how you shoot, you have 30 rounds to solve a problem. You know, you can bump that down to the list. It's it's the guys that really aren't good at shooting that really need to work on their reloads a lot. More rounds you got, the less aim it takes. True words never <laughs> spoken. And I'm kind of um, glad we get started you guys off with a pistol, correct? Yes. Because mm-hmm. usually how it kind of goes, at least in my experience across the board, uh, good pistol shooters 
usually equates to decent rifle shooters. Mm -hmm. Good rifle shooters may not necessarily kind of equate to good pistol shooters. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more things um, kind of going on uh, with the rifle. You know, you have the buttstock, you have all those other points of contact, longer barrel, you know, everything like that. So when going kind of going back to zeroing and things like that versus, you know, obviously the pistol, which we're not talking about today, but it's pretty imperative to kind of get that good zero and then going into shot group analysis, which we did with you guys uh, mm-hmm. all the way out to hundred yards, getting a nice shot group analysis. Mm-hmm. And that's something I don't feel like a lot of individuals do enough is shot group analysis. Yeah. Um, you can ping steel all day. That's great. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, you kind of got to be accountable for those rounds. Mm-hmm. So, man, I feel so, I want to go into all that stuff, but I also feel like too, because we're talking about real world applications and whatnot in, in this, so I'm going to like, I'm going to briefly switch gears on us, but we will switch back. Talking about rifles though, this, this is one thing I was chatting with Mark before we actually got started is that rifles are kind of the thing in AR-15 is sort of the thing that everybody thinks to themselves. I think we mentioned this in the class too. It's, it's, it's funny how a lot of people, if stuff starts to get a little bit weird, which maybe we all know about at this point in history, right? Where you, there's a lot of uncertainty, you're not really sure what all is going on, um, and you feel maybe you're going to have to have the need to protect yourself. Everybody makes sure, what's the first thing everybody makes sure is good to go? Is the rifle. But in just regular, everyday, walking around town, whatever, that's a lot of, yeah, I'm not personally going to be the guy walking around town with an AR strapped to my chest, just out in the open. And and we've discussed this before. You know, there's there's the discussion of the right to do something, which, do I believe in the right to be able to do that? Absolutely, yes. Do I believe in the practice when it's unnecessary and you might be freaking out people and causing the wrong message and whatever and really stirring up potentially more trouble than you would have had you not or becoming a target? Uh, whatever. There's all these, all these reasons that go into that. But anyway... The pistol or something like that is what I'm thinking of as more of this everyday thing or what I may be going to on a more regular basis. But yeah, a lot of people then go back to, okay, if stuff is getting real weird, I got to get to the rifle. So is that where, when you guys are training with carbines and rifles, what training or what real world, world situation do you see yourself employing it in versus the pistol? Or are they both going to be employed in the same situations or, you know, how do you guys see that playing out? I would say for home, if I have something, I have a rifle at home kind of ready to go, I would reach for that. It's generally way easier to shoot. It's really not, you know, those five, five, six rounds, especially if the right ones, they're not going to fly through your drywall. You know, if you miss, God forbid, it, it happens, we miss at what we're shooting at. And it's just generally more effective at shooting. Mm-hmm. It really is. I mean, the difference between the two is you know, night and day. I think a lot of times in law enforcement, especially the guys that, that, you know, I used to work with, it would be hard to, to get guys to show up on certain calls with at least one or two of them. Hey, maybe you need to have the rifle with us. We don't really know what's going on here. Sometimes they leave that back in the car. And, you know, and the difference in a fight between, this was a good saying I heard once, you know, bringing an AR-15 to a gunfight is like bringing a chainsaw to a knife fight. It really is that much more effective. Okay. You can, you can stop the threat a lot faster, a lot easier. There's a lot less liability. You can shoot a lot more accurate across the board at a greater distance. It's mm. just that much more of an advantage. From a psychological standpoint, do you think it could potentially diffuse something before the shooting even starts, or do you think if that's going to happen, it's going to happen? I don't really tend to rely on that. There are a whole lot of people in this world that have grown up having guns pointed at them, and they don't really care. 
I know I've heard stories in Iraq dealing with uh, citizens, maybe crowd control. They don't care if you're pointing rifles at them. Mm-hmm. They've had it mm-hmm. all their life, and it's the same thing in this country. So I don't, wouldn't really count on that, mm-hmm. you know, to try to sometimes – Presenting a rifle might escalate a situation, or mm-hmm. you know, a handgun. It might escalate that. I really wouldn't count on that. But if I mean, that makes perfect sense, yeah. No, if if I needed to solve a problem and I needed to do it with a firearm, and an AR-15 was an option, an AR-15 is the answer. I kind of feel the same way personally. I have you know my AR underneath the bed, right next to me, and then you know in the uh, in the nightstands my pistol um however if i'm going to go for one or the other it's probably going to be my rifle for the basically the same reasons kind of uh pete kind of put out earlier so yeah um personally i just feel like if i'm in the, in the house and i need to make those first rounds they're imperative um i know for a fact that personally i'm more accurate with my rifle than i am with my pistol so mm-hmm. yeah what um i feel like we're going to talk about this maybe at a later date but now i'm curious right now like so you're talking about you know different types of bullets so what would be a you know, uh, a style of bullet that you'd be like, yep, this is what I keep in my rifle in my house for home defense. Oh, man. I mean, there's so many good manufacturers nowadays. There is. I know what I would stay away from. <laughs> okay. Maybe that's <laughs> easier. <laughs> right. Like, well, like steel core penetrators and things like that. Um, yeah. Makes sense. Stuff probably, designed to go yes. through things. Yes. You know, uh, honestly, a good rule of thumb is just talk to your local law enforcement <laughs> officer to see what they're carrying. And, and typically it's something that's FBI tested. They usually test that stuff a lot. It's really hard to go wrong with AR and ammo nowadays. As long as you buy from a reputable manufacturer, it's, it's really hard. There's so many gotcha. options out there. What I mean, Hornady, Spear, all great options. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, when it comes to it, like I said, I had to, I had to do that brief switch gear there. Uh, but, but when it comes to actually then shooting the things, right? So it's funny. Cause I can't describe like you, you like there's certain levels of situations where like, Oh, a pistol is up to this level. And then a rifle is like, if stuff gets really bad, it's I, not necessarily that. Cause it kind of depends on where you are, what the situation is, you know, but in, in situations where you have to employ the rifle, as we mentioned a couple times now, it's important to be able to be accurate, be able to be accurate under some stress and stuff like that. Um, we went through all kinds of things to consider. I, I already have changed after we had our class, some of the ways that I think about shooting my AR-15 or even just a rifle in general, really, actually, or just a firearm in general. Every time we do one of these things with you guys, it just it like starts cascading into all other forms of shooting that I do. But you guys went into a number of things. I mean, there's, there's the trigger press. There's your natural point of aim, which is, is something that I'm only finally starting to grasp in terms of like it's so simple that I was way overthinking it uh, before, but now I'm, I'm like finally starting to realize how simple it really is of a concept. You know, grip, all that other stuff. There's a million different ways people are holding rifles and, and are going about, you know, especially when you're in a, that prone position or whatever, where they're getting set up for all this natural point of aim stuff. You guys go into, though, how you break down your form and just how you want to be holding the gun and shooting and, and lined up with it and everything. And you probably noticed between you and Mark, your form or position may vary slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, again, and that's kind of going back to that individual, what works for them, what's comfortable. Um, across the board, I wouldn't say there's one thing that's going to work for everybody. Yes, there's slight variations, and they're going to, you know, the, I guess the basics on that baseline is going to kind of remain similar. But again, like we were talking about position in the prone, we'll touch on natural point of aim, especially with the carbine, because we were talking about that a couple of days ago, I think. Yeah. And I think that's uh, something we kind of want to define or at least kind of touch on a little bit more. 
So, but no, um, like I said, the baseline remains the same, but again, slight variations, you know, person to person. So, Mm -hmm. um, the same reason if you were to zero your rifle and then, you know, you hop on it, Jimmy, uh, point of impact versus point of aim might be slightly different. And again, that's going back to all those different variations. Yeah. So as long as you're consistent. Yeah. Natural point of aim seemed to be the thing that at least you guys talked about it first, I think. And it was the first thing that I would think of every time I got behind the gun was like getting in this position where essentially when I was relaxed, the gun wasn't moving and it was kind of staying pointed at the target. And there was times where we'd be shooting groups and I would be set up and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I think that's the weird thing about natural point of aim is that it's not something that consciously happens or that you're consciously doing. It just sort of does happen. But there'd be times where we set up behind the gun and shooting a group and every single shot I could start calling them, you know, because you're paying attention to what's going on. And every single shot I was like, ah, that was a little bit to the left. Ah, that was a little bit to the left. Ah, that, you know, and it just kept going a little bit to the left. And I'd, I'd set it up and aim it like, all right, it's going to be a good one. Ah, that was a little bit to the left. And it, it just kept happening. And then the next time I got down, I got situated a little bit better into a position where my body, like the musculature of my body, wasn't trying to pull it to the left. And then I shot a bunch of better group and it went, it didn't go to the left. We even got to the point where we were thinking like, do we need to change the windage on this thing or something? But no, it was actually me. <laughs> right. So natural point of aim. You want the, the target, your sight, and your eye kind of all in natural alignment with minimal muscular input. When I'm shooting a carving, I like to, I'm okay with, with rearward movement on the gun. I know precision guys don't typically like that. I'm okay, like grabbing the gun, pull it straight back. But, you know, you don't want to get down on the prone, your sights are here, your bullseye is here, and then just kind of turn everything. Because as soon as you shoot, the gun wants to move right back to your natural point of aim. And if it's yeah. not on the target, it potentially could end up there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we take time to kind of break that down, you know, with, with really no time limit at all. You take as much time as you need. You know, every shot, every string of fire shot starts with one shot, and we want to teach you guys how to fire one round at a time as accurately as possible. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, towards the end of the day, it really pays off. Yeah. It really pays off. So well, that being said, there are certain times where um, certain instances, maybe certain situations where natural point of aim, I don't want to say it's thrown out the window, but maybe maybe not as important as a fundamental of some other things uh, mm-hmm. when we're shooting well, for example, this type of platform for this firearm, it's made to be fired aggressively, which I mean, right. so again, again, that's why we were talking, maybe not wrapping the thumb on the pistol grip, you know, specifically with an AR, if you're shooting precision, maybe kind of uh, rest that thumb off to the side. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, again, it's made to be fired aggressively. So with that being said, natural point of aim, I don't want to have misconceptions you know, on that because when you guys were going natural point of aim, you guys were shooting for it, what, a three and a half inch circle at 100 yards in the prone. Mm-hmm. Um, With um, unmagnified optics, we were using UH1. Yes. So, I mean, Mark was using magnified. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get that uh, dig in. Now, that being said, um, other situations, other instances where time is of the essence, you know, uh, <laughs> a Speaking rate of fire. Of the, the dig on using the magnifier, Jim, I noticed the target that I had up here is mysteriously missing. Oh, that, yeah. No, it's not mysteriously missing. You know what? You you know what else hmm. isn't mysteriously missing is your pink hat for getting second place. Yeah, in we'll get contest. into that. <laughs> we'll get into that. My uh, oh, Ryan's got it right there. Oh, we there can, we go. Oh, oh yeah. look at that. Weird how it was that, in the Mark? darkest corner of the uh, ninety-eight, ninety-eight. Yeah. 
Cool hundred yard group, Mark. We all think it's pretty awesome. <laughs> you like that? Yeah. That's that's a really good shooting, though. Seriously, yeah. Mark. That if you know, I wish all my students could shoot <laughs> like that at hundred. I'm serious. <laughs> I oh, I'm dead serious. Quit playing. It's like oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like hearing. It's like hearing some. TV dad, I wish all my kids were as good as you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think what Justin's trying to say about natural point of aim, I think if you really take the time and get used to it and start thinking about it, you're just going to start doing it naturally. Yeah. You know, when you have 30 seconds to fire 10 rounds to get down on the prone, you're just going to start lining everything up naturally. And I think that's what mm-hmm. happens. So. Well, yeah, I, I think, like, in a perfect situation, right, that's awesome. And that maybe this is or isn't what you're getting at. But, like, if you're in a really dynamic scenario – you know, heaven forbid somebody's shooting at you, you're hiding behind some sort of cover, you're not necessarily gonna be like, Well, you know, am I in my natural, you know <laughs> Right. Yeah, but if you train if you train it enough, hopefully it becomes part of your uh part of your subconscious. Okay. Adrian, sure. what was the last podcast? Adrian kept saying unconscious. Yep, unconscious. Oh, it's part but it's <laughs> part I, of your I saw myself doing that on the range now. Yeah, I, yeah. I refer to it as unconscious competence. <laughs> Guys, so. that's what I'm trying to avoid here. That's <laughs> right. why I'm in the training. Right. But, it, yeah, when you train that stuff enough and it becomes part of your subconscious, it kind of naturally happens, you know. I mean, we were at the end, and we'll get to that, like we said, where you, when you're pink hat. Uh, <laughs> right. But we were, we were moving and grooving, trying to be a little bit quick, and, and even still, that some of these stuff, some of these things that we were going over were coming to light um, in but those it, situations. Yeah, but again, like you were saying earlier, that's all those basic uh, fundamentals, if you will, that you yeah. have to have in place first before, again, the ninja flips and barrel rolls and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, the one thing, trigger press, trigger control, um, that, that has to be developed. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we like using those targets because it demands a lot out of you. you it know? does. It really does. I mean, you know, guys might shoot at steel, you know, maybe a man-sized target at 100 yards, and, and now we're asking you to shoot about a three-inch circle, you know, or smaller if, if you can if you can handle it. And, um, you know, a lot of times military and, and law enforcement and even private citizens, they don't shoot well because they've never been asked to. They've never been asked to shoot to that level. You know, yeah. I find if you just, you know, you, you fine-tune some things, you teach a little bit, and then you just put them in that situation, they're going to respond. You know, and, and, and you guys definitely did, especially when it came to shooting those targets at 100 yards. Yeah, it was funny how frustrating shooting those little targets were because I'd spend so much time like, like it has to be perfect. It has to punch the X out. Yeah. And then at the end, we switched over to steel, and there's like these tiny little round steel plates at 100 yards, and it was like, boom, ting, boom, ting, boom. Ting. And it was just over and over and over just hitting it. And it was because like... In my mind, I'm thinking to myself, all I got to do is make the steel ring, right? right? So there's less pressure. But right. when you're trying to be perfect, you're like, get it perfect. Like, it has to be. And I was I was shooting way worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, that being said, it was still a six-inch plate Yeah. at 100. And six I think inch, you were shooting that from standing. Plates. Yeah. So now people have to realize, you know, God forbid you get in that situation, you actually have to pull your firearm your shooting's probably not going to improve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fair. That's this is true. So, yep. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're only shooting like, ah, I'm shooting good enough when you're at the range, you know, should it should carry over. I should get, you know, the adrenaline will make me a better shooter when something bad happens. Yeah, you, you very rarely rise to the occasion when that happens. So <laughs> that's why we have to train hard. We have to we have to do things perfectly and right because it's not always gonna be that way. Yeah. So mm-hmm. now explain you guys uh you guys train with the uh, little, you know, competition shot clock things what are they shot uh, timer yeah. shot timer yeah uh anyway you guys train with those and uh a lot of 
people are familiar with those in terms of like three gun matches or whatever. You yeah, know, it's, USPSA. The, uh, it's the stress button. Yeah, it's the stress <laughs> button. Yeah, quite. I mean, quite literally, because if you just have some, you know, if you're if you're not implementing some level of urgency, your blood, yeah, urgency, getting your blood pressure up a little bit, maybe even a little bit of a competitive edge or whatever, then you're not truly imitating what could be a, a future stressful scenario. Yeah, right. Now, when we use that shot timer, uh, we're not looking at the total time per se. Yes, during some exercises or some drills like you guys were, we're kind of looking at the total time. But again, that tool can be utilized to break down basically almost every aspect. Pete's actually really big in training with shot, you know, shot timers and things like that. Splits, reloads. You can kind of break down the whole firing sequence uh, with that shot timer. I know a lot of times, like, let's say that quarter drill we did. Five yards, you got to get five rounds off in, in a second and a half. Some people will look at that and, well, all right, 1.7. Okay, you failed. All right. Instead, we'd like to look down there like, okay, how, how did you fail? Or what happened? You know, you're at five yards and your presentation's about one second. Okay. That leaves you a half a second to fire four rounds. Okay. But if we can take about a half second off that presentation time, now there's a lot more time for you to shoot accurately. You know, it's, it's shot timers are a really great tool, but they have to be used right. You're absolutely correct about the stress. I mean, it, all I did was hold a, a clock next to your head and hit a button, and it, suddenly everything changed. You got a little amped up. I, I like to say, like, there are certain things I like to do untimed, but I like to get that shot timer introduced as soon as we can in the training because when it happens for real, it, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's always mm-hmm. a shot timer. There, somebody's keeping score somewhere, Yeah. okay? And you, you have to – it's not really necessarily speed I'm looking for, although that is a – byproduct, uh, the shot timer kind of tells me how efficient someone is doing something. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and I, I like using those bullseyes at hundred yards. You know, when we started off, we were just shooting groups at hundred yards untimed. Okay. And then now we're going to add a shot timer and okay, let's do that in 60 seconds. Okay. And you guys are having great scores. All right, let's do it in 30 seconds. Yep. And now your scores kind of, you know, staying about the same. Well, now you can look at that and like, wow, what was I doing for that 30 extra seconds? You were wasting time. Sure. You know, and you can even go farther than that. You know, standing to prone at a, at a B8 bullseye at 100 yards, you, you fire 10 rounds in, in, you know, less than 15 seconds, and you get the same score. Suddenly your world starts to change. It's like, man, I just wasted 45 seconds of my life. You know, I used to think that was that was the standard, and the score staying the same, and you're just getting way more efficient with everything mm-hmm. you're doing. Yeah, I mean, talking about some of those efficiencies, and, and I had to maybe kind of like overcome some, I guess, habits, I guess, if you will. But you know, you're talking about the presentation there. And again, you always want to be safe and you, and you have to be mindful of all, all the safety rules, which we went over before we started shooting. But even when I'm shooting at a deer or something like that, it's like, I'm always like, okay, I'm on target. Okay. I'm ready to shoot. And then, and then my finger enters the trigger. Well, execute a trigger press. Boom. Right. Right. And again, somewhat of a different situation here. You're, you're not being unsafe, but we know we're presenting the weapon. We know we're engaging a threat, right? Time is of the essence. And so you're like, hey, Mark, take some of the slack out of that trigger before you're actually on target. So you're, be- again, you're being more efficient with your movement. Right. So when you get on target, you can execute that shot faster and more effectively. Right. So so I we're starting to do, when we mean a presentation, we mean, hey, the rifle's at a low ready, okay? Like, say, if you're a police officer, you're... You're got the rifle down, okay, hey, may not to, need to bring it into action. I need to be able to see what's happening. And then now suddenly situation has changed. 
it's now time for me to use deadly force. We're getting the rifle into action. I like to start guys back at 20 yards, okay, because it is a rifle, okay? It is, it is capable of the accuracy to handle back there, but you really learn how to get that rifle into action really efficiently back there. I think too often guys want to start up close at five yards, and yeah, maybe the shooting might happen there, but you can get away with a lot of slop and a lot of bad form, but if you put somebody back at 20 yards, you learn how to do it right and efficient. And part of that is starting, you know, speed. Speed isn't always just doing everything as fast as you can. Speed is the economy of motion. Speed is doing certain things kind of simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Speed is getting rid of that lag time. I thought speed was going slow. No, no, no. (laughs) Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. That that is a phrase that... (laughs) That's what everybody says. It really gets... Going slow is Uh, being fast. So I brought that up when we were talking about it, and Pete, of course, corrected me. But, like, I feel like... But you know what I mean, though. Like, right. It's not, yeah. There is more to that statement. Yeah. But, I'm yeah. just but messing with you, Mark. Especially in I the military. I know that what you were trying to get at was that you were just trying to call yourself fast by being slow. Okay. <laughs> what, what you guys really should take from that statement is fast is smooth. Okay? Slow is just slow. Yes. Okay? At the end of the day. But fast is smooth. You know, fast is not herky-jerky trying to do everything 100 miles an hour. There are times yeah. when, hey, maybe if you back off a little bit, the end product is you are faster. So we want to, you know, big thing with shooting, like you're drawing a gun, presenting a rifle, depending on the distance, like someone will bring a rifle up to their shoulder, and then there's this pause. There's like this dead time where before the gun goes off. We want to try to get rid of that. Yeah. And that's, that is economy. You yeah. Know? A lot of that is maybe you're staring at your sights too long, okay? Um, you see it in new shooters a lot where you're teaching someone a skill, and they're up there, and they're trying to do it. And you can watch, like, okay, step one, I'm looking at the target. There's the target. Okay, step two, I bring the rifle up, all right? And you can watch them go through every step in their mind. When you get experienced, all that gets kind of blended together in a safe way, though. You know, I want to make sure that people understand, like, hey, that sight is on target, and I have made the decision to shoot. So, yeah, my finger is starting to take the slack out of that trigger. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. we should uh, we should mention. I think, and, and it would be it'd be good for some people out there listening, you know, who are trying to get better at shooting their rifle. Some of the drills that we did. So obviously, we talked about the fact, you know, we shot a lot of groups and we zeroed in our firearms. We didn't rush through the zero. We made sure we had good zeros and, and we made sure that we were shooting good groups. Right, applying the fundamentals of marksmanship. But then, you know, because you not only want to have the accuracy portion, but you want to have the efficiency portion and, and hopefully get yourself to, as you're saying, remove a lot of the just fluff in your shooting times, right? right? Mm-hmm. And so to do that, you know, I mean, you mentioned one thing, which was uh, the quarter drill, which we actually wasn't like the first thing that we got to. The first things that we got to was these presentations, which was simply, yeah, I mean, just starting from a low ready, which even even right off the bat, when you're talking about a low ready, I thought it was funny when you guys brought this up because... I think of like movies and stuff when you watch people run around with guns. It's like they're they're running around with the guns with they're like their eyes are already in the sight and they're like pointing the sight all over the place and the only thing that they can actually see is what they're seeing through the little funnel of their sight. You know, they're right. not actually seeing anything around them. It's like complete terrible situational awareness. And just that low ready position right off the bat was one thing I learned um I guess kind of like naturally I've, I've thought of that. Like, well, if I'm doing this, I can't see anything. But when you guys talked about that low ready is like, oh, yeah, well, my chin's up above the stock. I can look around. I can see what's around me. Right. 
I, I think sometimes on the range, people get in a habit, especially when you bust out the shot timer, they, they naturally just want to have a tendency to cheat. Like, I want to go really fast. So, okay, that rifle comes up, comes up, comes up to the point where, like, guys are actually looking through the sight or they're right here. And that's before not really... The, yeah, before it goes off. Right. Yeah. And that's not really a reflection of reality. You know, mm-hmm. and Justin and I will, will joke in, in, on the range and I'll tell him to lower his muzzle. And I, I want guys to get used to moving the rifle. When it happens for real to lower it just enough to see, but I want them to, to learn how to do it in worst-case scenario where that rifle is really low and get that into position in the most efficient manner possible. Mm-hmm. Um, optics are great to shoot through. They're not really all that great to look at the world around you, okay? So you got to – they don't show up until at the last minute, okay? I know that's kind of messed up. We work for an optics company, but but really that's – I mean, yeah, that's, we'll that's anything. We'll I mean, you don't walk through later. the woods – you don't walk through the woods with a deer scope trying to find deer. It's I mean, true. No. You have to see them with your eyes. Okay. So I did have a couple questions in that because, like, so maybe actually, maybe we did or maybe we didn't do this, but like, describe a low ready. Low ready. The rifle is on safe. Okay. Yes. That that is non-negotiable. And boy, in in this state, as early as ten years ago, in the law enforcement training I was around, they had a different theory on that. And and man, that AR has one of the best safeties probably ever put on a firearm you can get that thing yeah, into action. ergonomical and quite yes. efficient yeah that the low ready the rifle is on safe the finger is straight okay i was shocked when you heard when when you mentioned that like like a uh, quote best practice was not that was shocking to me because like y- you are talking about like you know speed is the economy of motion and doing things simultaneously like you can accomplish that function. It's not taking any extra time to do that as you're doing right. the other things. Yeah. Right. Yep. Anyway, right. That, that, was a, that, was, and, that was a surprise to me. And, and people forget that is a single action hammer. Like that, that hammer is cocked, ready to go. All you have to do, it's not double action. It's single action. And, and it used to be a policy in this state that, that you had um, like a patrol ready. Officer would show up on scene, load the rifle, put it on fire, and then go. And uh, I just, I cringed when we saw that. And, and a lot of really smart people uh, worked really hard to change that because it doesn't, safety can only make you safer. Same deal with home defense too. If right. it's under your bed, right? don't have it on fire, you know. It costs you no time. And if you practice and train right, you can get that thing on fire when you're ready to shoot. I mean, you guys saw it on the shot timer. Did you guys ever think, oh man, this, this safety is really slowing me down? No, it's actually funny that you mentioned that. Never did I think. Right. Oh, it's the safety. That's why. Oh I man, know. I really got to practice working this safety because no, it's it's really intuitive and really natural. Right. But then you got, but you have the the other parts a little ready. I mean, you got the stock in yeah. your shoulder. Yep. Basically, and that's ready to just kind of cantilever up. Right. It's not so much one thing that that I found, and this is where you're getting into the economy of motion, is your head is already essentially in the position that it's going to need to be in when the rifle comes up to look through the optic immediately. If your head's kind of like up like an ostrich or whatever, and then when you bring the rifle up, now you also have to simultaneously bring your head down to the rifle. You're wasting a bunch of time. You're moving your vision all over the place. The rifle's probably going to move a lot. It's going to take a lot longer. It's, it's a lot like drawing a pistol, okay? Uh, one thing we, we run into a lot when, when guys draw a pistol the head wants to move down. You mm-hmm. want to, oh, I got to get down behind yeah, like that Mr. rifle. Turtle shell. Right. But when you're drawing the gun, you watch guys' heads drop, okay? And now the sights on the rifle are coming up. And now you got to line all this up with a target, okay? Instead of like, hey, here's your head, here's the rifle, bang, okay? Once you start figuring that stuff out, um, it makes your life a lot easier. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, and these are the things you start learning when you start practicing with smaller targets and a shot timer. It's amazing just adding those two things can really show the flaw in your game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and then that's when we step in and we kind of work through that. So, mm-hmm. um, like I said, low ready, uh, the finger is straight, okay, the safety is on, the, the sights are out of your field of view, and that stock is kind of elevated low, okay, so it's, it's, it's ready to go when you need it. And yeah. low enough where you can, like you were mentioning earlier, you know, you have maintaining that situational awareness, whether you're looking left, looking right, you can, you know, tell what's going on. So right. without being sucked into your sights like you were talking about earlier. Right. So a question I had about low ready, and maybe I was cheating a little bit. No, like, in school you were. What? <laughs> <laughs> you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Exactly. That, that is true. Uh, <laughs> so... I feel like when I was at a low ready at times, you know, and of course I'm showing this. So if you're listening, you can't see what I'm doing. But, <laughs> Mark's air gunning. That's, but, that's uh, pretty. That's pretty nice. But uh, like I was experiencing, like if I was to hold that position, like I would get some arm fatigue. Yes. Right. And so my question is, like, and I'll bring everything back to hunting, Jim, because that's that's where I like to live. Just hunting. Um, but if I was still hunting through the timber, right? Like I would be at a low ready. Like I'm anticipating something could happen at any second, you know, a dynamic yep. scenario. But I'm almost, like, I guess I'm at a lower ready. So the reason they call it, and, like, more, a lower ready And more relaxed. You are ready. Okay. <laughs> you know, so like you were saying, say, whether you're walking through the woods and, you know, a deer's going to pop up, you know, five yards, ten yards, whatever it may be, it's going to be, you're probably going to hold that rifle a little bit different if you were walking out, say, out west. Right. Where it's a little bit more open, say you're antelope hunting. <laughs> yeah. Probably not going to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So again, mm-hmm. situational awareness, um, low ready is essentially that kind of ready. <laughs> well, yeah. I guess maybe it. I think the weight distribution of a hunting rifle is a bit different than an AR too. It I'm is. I'm not going to say an AR is like more portly out towards the front, but I don't know. I, sometimes when you're with your more like light, handy, not full of thirty rounds of ammunition, you know, mm-hmm. hunting rifle, it's a little bit. Well, and as I think about this, as I think it through a little bit, like I could walk through the timber for three hours and not see anything, right? But I guess if I'm at a low ready in like a you know scenario where I might need to use my rifle in a defensive application, I might want to be at a little bit more ready of a low ready. Right. So I guess that's as I think it through. There's that different. Makes sense, there's you know? different yeah. ways. You I know? can't wait to see Mark though on his next hunt with his finger off the trigger straight, <laughs> but thumb right there on that safety, and just have some deer come out, and he just basically just. <laughs> I mean, it's just going to be amazing. Just be I would quick shoot. I'd though. love to see that. Me too. But yeah, to to get it back into the like uh, the economy of motion part of it, though. I mean, when you talk about as well that herky jerky. I mean, when you introduced the shot timer, the very first thing that I did. I mean, we were doing we were doing some low ready. All right, you know, like bring it up from here and shoot. You know, whatever. I was like, okay, you know, like yeah, yeah, bam, and you could hit a pretty good shot. And then the shot clock timer came out. And it was like, oh man, I'm getting, I'm getting timed. I better try and look impressive here yeah. or something. And it goes beat, and I just whip that gun right up to the face. And then it's funny because I ended up taking way longer because gun goes way high. Then you overcorrect. Then it goes too low. Then I'm like, oh, everything's going to the, hell in the handbasket. And then you, you panic. So then you panic, and you're like, all right, well, let's just basically reset. All this is happening in not a ton of time, but definitely more time than it should. And then you reset, and you kind of get it there, and you're already frazzled. And you're like, ah, I gotta shoot, and then it doesn't go anywhere near you know where what? it's supposed to. That's how we learn. Yes. That's how we learn. 
you know, one thing I didn't do with you guys that I, I kind of regret not doing, but I've really been getting into video, video analysis. Mm-hmm. We, have a, we have a program called Coach's Eye down there, and that is perfect for presentation. I can tell you exactly everything you're doing. All we got to do is stand there and video you. I will tell you exactly everything you're doing correctly and incorrectly. You know, and, and, and the case of overdriving that gun, a lot of the times is you get that head down. You, you, you want to oh, smash your face down between, behind the optics. What happens is your face actually hits that buttstock and forces the muzzle up. Sure. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what I like to do is I take a, I have a visible laser on my rifle and I kind of demonstrate what the sights would be doing. So you, you, you force that muzzle up, the sights go up. You can't shoot because you, you literally can't see for that tenth of a second, quarter of a second. And then, you, like you said, you have to wait for the sights to come back down. Where if you just kind of backed off a little bit in your presentation and, and as soon as the sights where they need to be, the gun goes off, you're going to be more efficient. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny. I know you were mentioning that how like you know not everybody has night vision just kicking around, but um, <laughs> with you know lasers and whatever else on the front of their gun. But when you have something like that, you guys are saying how night vision can just super show you a lot of things that you're doing, or even a visible laser. Or, yeah, because yeah, now you can actually see that on target. That was it, it. Literally is is I mean painting a line of what the barrel is doing, and ultimately what the barrel is doing is. What you're trying to control, because that's right. what's going to point where the bullet's going to go. It was really eye-opening. You know, we had some guys in in about a year ago, and um, you know, they're they're shooting in pitch black. They're using infrared lasers, and we're standing back there with night vision goggles, and and we were timing them on their presentation. And to a man, every one of them I saw, you know, this it, it, it was great for an instructor because I could see exactly what their sights were doing, and their presentation would look like this. And you could see it like, oh, crap, you know, it would go high. too high and then would spin around a couple of times and come back down, you know, and I'd, I'd bring it up and show them like, is that the most efficient way to do something? No. And, and really, the laser should just come straight up and bang, just like that. And your sights are the same way, mm-hmm. you know, the shortest distance between two points. Well, it's a wormhole. <laughs> OK, <laughs> but no, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Okay, and whenever you start violating that, okay, you're not efficient anymore. Right. It's the same thing with your presentation. So I, I like to bring that visible laser out there. It just kind of shows people what you should, what your presentation should look like. And and you know, going back, uh, you know, Mark, you said slowest move. That's kind of the one time I, I think, yeah, if people actually physically slowed down how fast they're moving the gun, their sights are where they need to be. They can see exactly when their sights are on target and, and they can let the gun go off yeah. and back off a little bit and they'll actually save a lot of time. Yeah. I found, I don't I don't know um, the science behind it, but sometimes just relaxing, even though you are you can be going faster, makes it feel like you're going slower. And I don't know, I mean, if there's there's got to be some sort of thing to the, the activity in your brain or the activity of just like neurons firing or blood flowing, who knows what it is, must slow down a little bit, but it lets your body go faster. And that was the one thing that I did. I mean, like at first, I mean, it was like super jumpy. Ah, shoot. Ah. All right. I think it's there. Bang. And then it was like once I relaxed a little bit and it was like, okay, just go from here to there, pull the trigger. It was it's, it's, way faster. But I did feel like I was going slower. Is, is some of that, and I'm asking, but, you know, I'll bring this back to cars for you, Jim. But like. Hey, let it be known. It wasn't me. If you like <laughs> Everybody. picture a car that like you just hammer on the gas, right? Well. It's going to go really fast, but then you also have to stop that car, and so it's going to be harder to stop. It's almost like, uh, you know, when you really go to try and go fast during your presentation, now you have to actually stop that once you want to be on target, and then you overcorrect, and then you overcorrect, and then... I like to use the example of braking. 
or so braking. I taught my little sister how to drive when she turned 16. And I'm in the car, and I'm sitting there with my coffee, and there's the intersection, and we're driving, we're driving, we're driving. She'd hit the brakes at the last dead second. Fly forward, coffee goes everywhere, okay. That's kind of a lot like a presentation is or, you know, presenting the pistol on target. We don't just stop at the last minute. We kind of start breaking a little early. So by the time we get there, okay, we've come to a nice smooth stop, okay, and now if we have, like, sights on a pistol, sights on a rifle, we can see exactly clearly instead of, like, slamming on the brakes at the last minute, everything's jumbling around, we can't really see what's going on, and we have to yep. literally wait to everything to settle down to make the shot. That's yep. that lag time I'm talking about, and we got to get rid of that. That's why I spilled well, and, my coffee twice. And uh, and like <laughs> what you were just saying, too, when we're talking about the sights coming up, because obviously this presentation, you do the motion, but then in the end, it's not a Call of Duty no-scope, right? Like, it's you do see the sight. Like, you are consciously aware of where the sight is pointing. So when that happens, though, I think there's an element of people uh, psychologically having to learn to trust the site, right? Yeah. Which goes all the way back to your site in, right? And you're right. zeroing and you're confirming your zero, right? There's an element of trusting the site and knowing if it's where I want the bullet to go and the trigger goes off, there's no reason it shouldn't hit the target exactly where I want it to hit the target. And exactly. so but like the first time you do stuff like this... Boom, gun comes up, and you're like, wow, that was fast. I better make sure that it's really good. Even though the whole time you saw it, it was like, well, it was on the target. You could have pulled the trigger. But your mind's kind of like, oh, I don't know if I should have done it that fast. Like, that feels faster than normal, you know? We can also kind of apply that to when you guys were shooting the quarter drill, right? Um, your sight picture, you know, your dot inside your optic. I mean, did that look the same when you were shooting, like, the, you know, second and a half at five yards versus when you guys were shooting, you know, or zeroing? I yeah, mean, so that doubt probably looked almost like a line. So yeah, quarter you know? drill being the one where yeah. we shot basically it was five rounds, and then when you're at uh, twenty yards or something like that, you had to do it in six seconds. So a little bit further yeah. away, you got yeah. more time, and then as you gradually got closer, you had to fit those five rounds still yeah. in the target, but in a less amount of time because yeah. you got closer. So, so yes, yeah, to probably your point, looked a lot different. It I looks mean, a little. I mean, it looks, but it's still on target, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think as instructors. We, we tend to do a bad job of this, but I, I think one of the problems people have with shooting is they spend way too much time aiming. That's, yes. They waste a lot of time aiming. I like to say either the sights are there or they're not. Do something about it. You know, it's like people have to have this perfect visual sight confirmation. They have to, they, they think every single sight picture has to be perfect. And through experience, they're going to learn, man, those sites don't really have to be exactly perfect as long as I'm doing everything else perfect. Mm -hmm. I like to use the, the, the phrase when it comes to sight picture, perfect is the enemy of good enough. If you every single time try to get an exact perfect sight alignment, it will actually degrade your shooting performance. Yeah, that's like what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. 100% mm -hmm. it will. Yep. It will, de it will degrade your performance if, if, you know, okay, granted. Now, if you have to make a shot at 400 yards with a carbine, okay, I'm going to need a perfect sight alignment. If you're at five yards waiting for, you know, a, a perfect sight picture on target, you are wasting time. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And when you put stuff into perspective, too, I mean, like when we were shooting multiple rounds, so strings of fire, and you came up and... For those not watching, Pete's six foot big and, and weighs more than I am. Uh, he, he came up, and I had the gun, you know, held up, 
and you know we're unloading all this stuff at this point for for those who are curious because somebody will be anyway. <laughs> Pete comes up and he's pushing on my shoulder. I mean, like not punching me, but I mean like putting his weight in me and pushing on my shoulder. And he's like, "Is the is the reticle going basically off this black circle that we have in the middle? Which is is how big is it again? Uh, eight inches. Eight inches. Or so so on that on that target. Let's just describe the whole drill so people know. Okay, sure. it, quarter drill." We got this from a guy named Mike Pannone. Uh, Mike Pannone's been in the industry for a number of years. Really great guy. Runs a runs a company called CTT Solutions. He developed this drill for the Asymmetric Warfare Group uh, when he was contracting for the Army back in the day. And it, it's a nice drill to kind of teach newer or younger shooters, you know, like how to shoot an AR or an M4 carving rapidly from different distances and, and what it takes to do so. So the original drill was a 30-round drill, okay? At 20 yards, you had, I think of the math here, I think you had five seconds. No, I'm sorry, you had you had 10 seconds to fire 10 rounds at, at 20 yards into an 8-inch A-zone or, or an Ipsic A-zone. It, it doesn't really matter. It, just, it has to be some sort of um, A-zone, okay? Sure. And then you went forward, you're at 10 yards, you had five seconds to fire all 10 rounds, and then you're at five yards, you have two and a half seconds to fire... 10 rounds. Okay. So it it was half and half. When we started shooting this before we came here, ammo was expensive. Okay. I'm like, I can't, 30 rounds is a lot for a drill. Okay. That, that is a lot of money. So we just cut everything in a half. So, so the way we do it, we call it the quarter drill. Okay. Uh, from 20 yards, fire five rounds. We have six seconds, go to 10 yards, uh, five rounds, three seconds and five yards, uh, five rounds in a second and a half. Okay. And typically, the targets we were shooting at that A zone on an IDPA target that was that was eight inches. Mm-hmm. That was gotcha. Eight inches. And so even yeah, even when I got my sight on target, I was in my proper stance and everything. Even with you like pushing on me, which is far more movement than you would expect out of you know a five five six AR, which doesn't really recoil that much. The reticle was basically in that eight inch circle the whole time. Right. I mean, and it was. I just did my part to have some sort of an element of stability. And it doesn't it doesn't screw you up that much. I think it's just that so many people are used to when the gun goes off. I think people have a bit of a moment of like blacking out, you know. And it's like okay, concentrating, concentrating, fingers pulling the trigger, and okay, I blacked out for a second. There's a loud noise, an explosion, something happened. There's a hole in the paper. I don't know what happened exactly. And then some explosions are louder than others. Yeah, <laughs> well, yours, yours creates more of a whiteout condition, Jim, with the fireball. I've said it. I've said it before. I'll say it again for the podcast. This gun was put together by a younger, <laughs> more immature me. Okay, I liked things that were loud back and then. That you could back then set a forest a fire with with yeah, a well, single shot. Anyway, um, I like that drill because it it teaches shooters. Okay, at 20 yards, you're focusing on different things than you're focusing on at five yards. It's all shooting, but at 20 yards, yeah, yeah, I really got to kind of concentrate on that trigger press. Okay, mm-hmm. I may need to be a little more deliberate with my sight picture. And at five yards, the biggest thing is I have to focus on, okay, do I have good control over this rifle? And um, am I relaxed? Mm-hmm. That's actually the big thing. So it's, it's a really nice drill. You're doing the same thing. You're just doing it at different yard lines, and and you're teaching shooters to focus on different elements Mm -hmm. on each yard Mm -hmm. line. I found, like, as we got closer, and I think you said this exact same thing, but, like, you kind of, at least I personally was like, okay, this is kind of illustrates good enough, right? Like, at five yards, good enough. Right. 
Exactly. And at 20 yards, like you said, you had to exercise a little bit more precision, take a little bit more time, be a little bit more deliberate with your shots. Yeah, exactly. Now, one thing, too, that you're having to pay attention to as well in these things, and we went over a few drills that were just more like slow shooting and trial and error and just seeing what happens. One thing that you have to consider as well is that you have that reliable zero, right? You've done that part. But people oftentimes assume that if they're zeroed at 50 yards, they're shooting basically like a perfect straight laser beam that perfectly intersects <laughs> with wherever their sight is pointed uh, all the way out to like 200 yards, right? And, you know, when you get up close... There's the element of the fact that, you know, if you stuck your, the end of your muzzle right on the paper and you look through the optic, the optic isn't going to be pointed exactly where the muzzle's pointing. That's optic over bore height. So, you know, when you're up that close in five yards, you're actually holding over the target. And then when we went out to the range, the longer range outside, for some reason we did that. It was dreadfully hot. We have a hundred yard range at work. I, I don't know. Anyway. Actually, I think the engineers were down there that week. Yeah, okay. Well, the engineers, they just... It's good for you. You got to get you outside, get some sun. Yeah, silver spoon engineers. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but when we did that, we had to shoot at a hundred yards and actually hold under a tad. And um, when you're shooting a target the size we were shooting, it does matter. It you does. Know? And um, that's what we, that's what we had to do. So, Taking taking that optic over bore height and your sight in the way that the ballistics work and the curvature of your bullet through the air that's it's flight that was another thing that just well I know we talked about zero you guys were talking about it zero at fifty yards um, we didn't really go into why we zeroed at fifty yards but you guys also were talking about there's you know zeros at twenty five uh, thirty six fifty and a hundred mm-hmm. and again. We zeroed at 50. We have a personal preference to that, and we do it for a certain reason. Because, again, say we had a 25-yard zero, our point of aim, say maybe at, you know, 5 or 100. We're trying to maximize, basically, our point-blank range. Mm -hmm. Um, So, basically, um, trying to mitigate that hold, uh, whether it's, you know, over, under, as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you look at a 50-yard zero, if you zero a rifle uh, to 50 yards, and you have to engage a target at an unknown distance. If you put your sights right on the center of that target, a 50-yard zero will give you the maximum chance of getting a hit if you're not quite sure where the distance is. Right. I can't tell you how many people I've taken out, looked at the first set of targets, and they're like, that's 50 yards away. And you're like, nope, that's 100. Mm-hmm. Range estimation is not an easy thing, you know, and, and especially with shooting a rifle like this, you don't have time to whip out the old Kestrel, okay, <laughs> right. you know, or, or lay something, okay, and a, a 200-yard zero, or I'm sorry, a 50-yard zero will set you up for success. You just said the thing you hate the most. Oh, my you God. You just said it. Yeah. Uh, kind called, of a pet pet peeve of mine. Fifty yard zero to two hundred yard zero. Pet peeve of mine is is people call it the fifty slash two hundred yard zero. Uh, they're really not one and the same, unless you you end up with the magic barrel length ammo. Okay, yeah, maybe your zero is dead on at fifty and dead on at two hundred. Most aren't, and I think most people that call it that never confirm at two hundred yards. So we call it a fifty yard zero because we know it's zeroed at fifty. If you have the opportunity, I would go out on paper and see where that that setup hits. It's going to be different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be further than two hundred, could be a little bit nearer than two hundred. But, but yeah, it is from a practical standpoint, though, like it's probably give. It sounds like it's giving you a high probability for getting an impact. Like you said, your maximum point mm. blank. Like you're trying to get a hit, right? And yes. again, like knowing your firearm. And where exactly where it is at those ranges is definitely going to be a benefit. But that 50-yard zero is kind of going to be, I guess, optimal 
before you like sort exactly. out the fine, yes. the fine tune points. Exactly. You know, we had you guys shooting at B8 size targets at 100 yards, and you typically had to aim about an inch and a half to two inches low to get inside that center target. Realistically, I mean, you don't have to do that if you're shooting at an eight inch target. You can just hold dead center. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spend a lot of time on offset up close because that is absolutely the one you can't stop to think about. That has to be instant. Yeah. I like using those little two inch stickers we threw up on the target. Yep. Um, I like people to get a visual representation of where their bullets are landing. I have people aim at that sticker. Okay. Their rounds are down here. All right. We walk forward, we look at the targets. Okay. That's the amount that we need to aim to um, overcome that offset. And yeah. that, that has to be automatic. If, if you have to make a shot at somebody up close, 55 yards is about the maximum you're going to see mechanical offset. The farther back you go, the offset's going to get smaller because when you're back at 50 yards, your sight and your bore are perfectly lined up because that's where you zeroed them at. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, and every, every gun is going to be different. Like, actually, Jim, like, we had different ARs, right? Yours is a different configuration, shorter barrel. Mm-hmm. And really our our holds were like somewhat dramatically different. I yeah, different enough that again, when you're practicing for to try and reach some level of as close to perfection as you can get, understanding that it's only going to probably degrade from there if stuff hits the fan. But yeah, I mean it was different enough that if I was if I would have been like, "Where are you holding?" and I would have done the same thing, it wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. So, I mean that is where now I know this gun better than I did before we did this thing, and that's that's good to know. I mean, I got I got more used to a newer trigger than I did before, you know, doing a class like this and, and shooting four groups, which I almost never did before. You know, usually it was just kind of like, go out, burn it down, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, hit some steel, ring the steel, because it's fun. Paper Shooting paper's dumb. If only they made paper that rang, <laughs> yeah. um, then I'd probably do it. But it, It's amazing people go through a class – and, oh, I really like the setup. I really like doing something this way. And then you start asking things from those students. You know, you start asking it in terms of accuracy and time. Suddenly things that seemed okay before on your rifle don't seem okay now, you know. Uh, Mark, I kind of had the pleasure of the rifle you shot. I, To me, that would be like, oh, this is perfect. This is this is how I would set up a perfect rifle. I, I gave it to Mark. What did you think of that setup? Oh, I, I enjoyed it. So I mean, it. it- 14 and a half inch gun with a pinned uh, flash header to 16 inches. So it's, you know, all good with, yep, uh, yep. with it, the folks. Brand new Bravo Company uh, rifle right out of the box. It was 14.5 pinned. I think uh, we put had, a different trigger in that too. Yeah, we put a Geisley two stage trigger in there. I liked that trigger a lot. Yeah, it had a uh, Surefire, uh, what was the War, mo- comp? War Comp muzzle device on there. We had um, brand new UH1 on there and we had one mm-hmm. of our Micro 3X magnifiers. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is this is how I would run this rifle. That was sure. one thing we didn't get, get into as much as maybe we would have liked to is maybe rifle setup too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was hoping we'd talk about that a little bit because obviously you know it, the rifle Mark was shooting, the rifle I was shooting were quite a bit different. You know, Mark, you're shooting something that's like full on, you know, 16 inches in total when you include the muzzle brake. I was shooting an 11 and a half inch gun with this giant um, fire breather on the end, <laughs> uh, and. It was a very different experience. I'm also shooting a single-stage trigger, too, which mm-hmm. I found when we were trying to shoot groups, I wish I would have had a two-stage. But then when it got to shooting fast, I was like, I don't mind this so much, you know? Of course, like, either way, I should be able to do both fine. I mean, Pete came and shot my rifle and shot, like, a tiny little group, and I was like, well, no, I'm still now I can't, still seeing stars. <laughs> can't blame it on the trigger. <laughs> the fireball coming out of can't that thing. Can't blame it on the trigger anymore because Pete just shot a good group with it. But, yeah. I'd probably I'll probably change some things on this rifle though. 
most notably the uh, noisemaker. <laughs> yeah. Do you I, felt like something like that you might change to when you were shooting like up close and fast? You feel like it was kind of impeding any of your sight? Honestly, like I don't, or anything? it didn't bother me. It bothers everybody else. And I mean, it's just an unnecessary fireball, which at <laughs> some point, maybe if I start getting a little bit more efficient with my economy of motion and things could become a hindrance where it's like, wow, I'd really like to take another shot right now, but there's a big ball of fire in my face. Well, so, then think you know, about a uh, maybe uh, a nighttime scenario. I mean, is that going to even be more of a detriment because it's going to mess with your vision? I'll tell you what, the other, the other guy's going to be blind too. Then, <laughs> yeah, <so. that's laughs> everybody's going to be blind. Everybody's. It'll just be. It'll be like three blind mice having a. You know, when are you under night vision? Is it knock out your night vision? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd say so. So anyway, but, I'll probably switch to something. The thing no. is with a. So this gun I built at like. Peak AR-15 cool time, right? So it was slap on as many cool accessories as you can find um, that you probably saw on Instagram. And um, it's an it's an SBR, so it's like super badass, right? And uh, <laughs> I have a theory that's on what that. SBR stands for, super, super badass, badass rifle. Badass. Yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> you know that's that's what I was going for, and now it's like, do I need a muzzle brake? Does an AR-15 really recoil that much? No. Would I rather just not have a dragon on the end of my? Actually, that's not. That's a brand I think of. Of muzzle there is a dragon break. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry. It's not actually. That's not what I have. This what is I, the fire breathing dragon. This is this is just <laughs> something different altogether. But you know, would I rather not have that on the end of my gun? Yeah. The rest of the stuff I felt okay about. You know, but there's yeah, absolutely there's things here and there. Mm-hmm. You know, well, like I didn't. I never had a sling on my rifle. We were using slings too, yeah. which is so. But s- sling is kind of synonymous to having a holster for a pistol. You okay. Know, especially yeah. in a class environment, it's it's real easy. Okay, guys, on safe, let them hang. Instant, you guys are safe. You know, the muzzle's pointed down. From a practical standpoint, I mean, they're they're really great to have, especially because you're not always shooting with a rifle. You have to have a way to transport it securely. There's a bunch of different slings out there. Um, personally, as long as for me, as long as you know anybody you know training with, as long as it's a two point adjustable, uh, you can get quite a bit done with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, yeah, there used to be three years ago. There used to be three main types of slings. Way back in the day, there was a three-point sling, and um, they were. Do you? Even, that was probably way before your time. You ever mess around with a three-point sling? They well. just yeah. <laughs> Sounds just like this, a drink. It gaggle of <laughs> nylon everywhere. This huge strap that would run across would attach here and would attach here, but then it had this huge piece of nylon that would attach in the middle. Oh, right? I know the one. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and it would go right across your bolt catch. And we thought they were cool at the time, and uh, you know, I've since learned better ways to carry a rifle. Um, there are single-point slings, which is just one loop. Some guys like those. In my experience, they're okay if you're sitting there just shooting, and then as soon as you're done shooting, they kind of become useless because the gun just hangs off you and it goes wherever wherever it wants. The utility of a two-point adjustable sling, sling is way better. You can adjust it to almost any length. It's super fast. Really fast. You can just let it hang around your neck uh, and actually kind of use it like a single-point sling uh, if you wanted to switch shoulders, do anything like that. If you needed to secure the rifle to yourself, let's say you needed to carry a wounded comrade, you needed to handcuff somebody, do anything else, the rifle secured to you. If you wanted to stabilize uh, the rifle a little more, tighten things up, you can tighten it down and help okay. stabilize the rifle like in right. a prone position. I mean, there's just so much more handy. I mean, along with having you know, a two-point adjustable, the uh, 
the QD attachments, um, I prefer those. Um, if you guys can have those on there, Pete actually has several different QDs on his rail, depending on you know the situation, whether it's you know a little bit more forward towards the muzzle, a little bit further back. The rear attachment, whether you're putting it you know on the buttstock or a little bit closer up, it's kind of I would say maybe situation dependent, you know, personal preference, things like that. Yeah. What's your preference on that? We um, were talking about that a little bit. So for me, um, I like having uh, like the front uh, attachment, you know, on the handguard uh, up almost as far as I can get it. Mm-hmm. So the reason I have it up there is because for me, it's kind of out of the way. So whether, because my hand placement on that forward rail, it's going to be a little bit different if I'm in the kneeling position or if I'm in the standing position. So sliding that, you know, forward and aft on that, oh, um, sure. it's not really going to kind of impede my hand placement. So that's one of the reasons I like it. You know, there's several different other reasons as well. I'm, I have personally, um, you know, a light on there, maybe like a laser as well. But again, also a lot of people might use, um, whether it's a vertical grip on there or something like Jimmy has here. Yeah, um, like an angled yeah, yeah. grip. Um, like for a reference point. Um, mm-hmm. or something like that, maybe a stop, and I kind of use my sling as that as well. Okay. So I remember when I first saw your guys' rifles that I always knew, I was like, well, you know, there's like the Instagram rifles where people tack on as much stuff as they can get, and that's kind of like, you know, a little bit crazy. Like <laughs> I was like, I bet these guys will have pretty, like, pretty bare-bones rifles. But then when I saw your guys, like, there's stuff going on there. You guys have stuff. It's, it's not that I think sometimes people get nervous to add things to their rifles because they're like, Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to look like I'm just trying to be cool. But right. then there's people who do add stuff because they're just trying to be cool. And in the end, I mean, I think you should probably put stuff on your rifle, try it, use it, see what you like, and just in the end, have your rifle be set up with what works for you, right? And probably have some idea of why. So, like, I think some people maybe say sometimes, like, "Oh, this works for me," and they're like, "In in what real world scenario?" Yeah, I don't know. Why, why don't you guys walk through your stuff? Because I mean. Justin, you were saying, Pete, I know you've got your own setup. You know, you guys have, you got the flashlights. You guys got lasers. Laser beams are cool. Lasers. Backup iron sights. I'm very mm-hmm. uh, intrigued to hear you guys' thoughts on this. You know, and then you're using different optics from LPVOs to red dots and holographic sights and stuff. So that, that was a big question. Like, what's the balance between practical and tactical? Like, what's what's the blend there where you're like getting the best of both worlds? Well, I, I tell you what, I, I think every once in a while you have to look at your rifle, look at everything that's on there and be like, does this bring me joy? Okay. <laughs> you know, it, is this useful though? Is this, am I using this? Is this helping me? I, I'd say for the most part, people have way too much stuff on their rifle. There are certain attachments I just look at and I'm like, man, you don't like that. You don't need that. I know one thing for a carbine. iPhone holder. Right. Don't need that. <laughs> I know one thing for a, for a rifle. I, I am not a fan of a bipod on a carbine. And I see that sometimes. Like on a, a 16... Maybe not so much a 16. It depends on what you're doing. But if it's like a fighting rifle, like a patrol rifle carbine, and there's a bipod on there, get rid of it. You, you don't need it. Man, that magazine makes a really nice monopod. And you guys may oh, want to elaborate on that. But yeah, sacrilege. that. Yeah. You're going to cause a malfunction, Pete. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I will not. What the hell, man? No, I will not. Yeah. I, I, you, can, you can put a magazine. You can rest that on the ground just fine. It, it gives you a lot of stability. You know, if, if your roll is more precision, a little longer distance, yeah, go ahead and put a, a, a bipod on there. But really, I, man, if your game is 100 yards and in, I really don't think you need a bipod on a rifle. Um, I know a lot of times guys will do that, and then they have to start, you know, carrying it and moving it faster, and suddenly it gets snagged on things. Um, it's one of those things you just, I don't think you need for a for a fighting rifle. And it's like heavy that. and in the wrong yeah. spot. Yeah. 
for it having just, a bunch of weight. It, it just don't think it adds much to your game. You know, there's certain other things. There's, I don't, I don't want to go into certain manufacturers, but there were like attachments that you could put around the magwell that would help you grip there. And you know, if you know how to grip a rifle, you don't put your hand there anyway. So it, yeah, it just. You, you really, every once in a while, you have to look. I'm like, okay, is this making me a better shooter? Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't run backup irons on my carbine. I have Get a... Out. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Somebody I just have... opened that can of worms. I put the... I'm not joking with you guys. I'm going to admit that I, I succumbed to what I thought people would say. I put these backup irons here on this gun because I was like... I don't want to deal with the comments <laughs> if people see me running a gun without backup iron sights. So I threw these on. They're not sighted in. They're useless. They are 100% useless. Well, I have my uh, my optic on there. That's one sighting system. I also have my laser. That's a second sighting system. How many sighting systems you really need? You need now a backup you can put, for the backup. You can put irons on there. Now you have three sighting systems. Maybe you have a red dot now. <laughs> so, like my that's right... Like a, that's a, a pretty d- bad luck day. Like... <laughs> Right. So. so so my rifle setup, I really like a 14 and a half mid-length system. I think it shoots great. I think that that length of barrel is really practical. I think the mid-length makes it shoot a little softer for me. You know, I have a I have a D-ball uh infrared aiming laser on there. We do a lot of work with night vision, okay? So for me, it it allows me to aim that uh, that rifle at night. Um I also have a white light. White light's kind of one of those things, like if you really want to use that rifle for self-defense, home defense, you got to have a really good quality white light on there. Okay, we can't shoot things until we see them, all right? And we can't shoot things until we discriminate them. And every year you read a story, somebody shooting uh, a potential home invasion uh, invader, and it turns out it was it was one of the kids, one of the you know neighbor's kids maybe stumbled into the house, Ugh. you know, just didn't use any white light to ID something, okay? Uh, mm. if, you, if you use a rifle, it is... You have to have some form of white light on it. You know, I have a a, a Geisley two-stage trigger on there. Um, you know, I guess Jimmy would call that cheating, but um, it gives you every advantage. What did you I know? say? No. I said I want one too. <laughs> you know, and it, it's weird. And at least back in the day, like a, like a good match trigger would, would get this reputation of not being reliable. And uh, in reality, they probably are way more reliable than your standard mil-spec trigger. So I, I like the advantage that brings. I think it's worth, worth the upgrade. You know, I, I was running one of the, uh, you know, brand new UH-1s. Um, I've really grown to love that optic. I love just the huge field of view. I, I like a, that reticle. You weren't a big fan of magnifiers until... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, now, and, and now we have magnifiers. now now I have a magnifier on there, right? Ma- magnifiers. I mean, we work at a company that makes outstanding low power variable optics. I mean, some of the best in the world. And here's this magnifier, you know, and it just it didn't seem that cool compared to like a razor one to six or a one to ten. It just didn't seem cool. It's like, all right, we showed up and we tried them, and man, I, I don't know about you, Justin, but like for me, compared with that UH one, like a hundred yards and in, oh man, it just I've really grown to like well, our the magnifier. capability that magnifier yes. adds. It it you can take a guy that's just running a plain red dot, throw that on his rifle, zero everything up, and that gives that guy a lot of capability. Oh yeah, like uh, like Mark, like Mark, mm-hmm. even to like identify something, just exactly. a little bit of extra magnification, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, but with that setup, that I was I have a pretty similar setup that Pete runs, just a different brand rifle. But again, I feel comfortable taking that particular setup with 14, you know, five all the way out to 400 yards with that setup. Anything mm. past that, I might struggle. <laughs> so, yeah. 
It's it's funny. I found now like this this isn't a little bit of an older gun. I think this is one of my most recent ones that I've put together or, or purchased. But very very first gun I ever did. It had full ambi everything. Everything was like the latest greatest whatever. I bought it from the company that only makes one thing, and it's like that super Gucci part. And now I've gotten to the point where like it's a uh, regular mil spec safety. Yeah, it's regular mil spec buttons and switches and paddles and whatever. And and it's a uh, Pretty normal old carrier group. I just don't get fancy stuff so much anymore because well, they've changed quite a bit over the years. Like back in the day, like a comp rifle might you know or something like that, a competition style setup versus I guess I guess your basic stock AR now. I mean, it's almost kind of comparable to what they were you know how many years ago. Yeah, yeah. Ruben and I have had conversations about this all the time. Like the difference between a competition rifle now and like a like a, a mil spec rifle or like patrol rifle that gap is really narrowing i mean they're yeah. like almost one on the same they're yeah. the, the i mean the differences are very subtle your competition hmm. one mostly just comes down to all the bright cerakote colors <laughs> exactly I mean, but otherwise there's exactly. not much difference well you got to match your jersey well that's right that's right so, all right, we got to also talk about, because we mentioned early on, Mark, why'd you win a pink hat? Why'd I win a super sick <laughs> pint glass? So one of the things when we went out to the range, we went out outdoors in the blistering heat, but we were shooting we were shooting a little bit at 100 yards, and yes, we were shooting at 100 yards with, uh, I was shooting unmagnified, not Mark, but, you know, four groups, four uh, attempting to try and get some precision out of these uh, low power or no power basically optics which is something that i know i've never done before full admitting that but then you guys brought out the steel that was when it got fun it was all fun but that was when it got really fun because then it was like oh man now i don't have to shoot this perfect group in this circle (laughs) yeah now i can just hit this stupid (laughs) this stupid piece of steel anywhere and it'll ring and i'll get the point but yeah we, we were shooting around barricades that was pretty interesting to do and then yeah we kind of wrapped it all together and kind of did a mix up Mm-hmm. contest where we got only a certain amount of rounds to try and get through and, and shoot uh, an array of targets. But And I'd, I'd say for like probably a ton, a ton of people out there, like the drill we did was very basic. Like it was kind of, a, a, I guess, whatever. I don't know it, what it, you call it. I'd call it like a move and shoot drill or a dynamic like if you, drill. You've or, got like a very experienced three gunner. He's going to be like, this was a very basic drill. But right. boy, if, if I've used that drill for years and it's, it's, it's really great. I it mean, incorporates you, you, a bunch of different, a know. lot of things that we covered in the day. And we set up like about three, four pieces of steel. I like to have one small piece of steel. And then we have barricades that we've kind of just taught you how to shoot from used for stability and, uh, you know, I think it's, we had like, I think 12, you needed to score at least 12 hits on these different pieces of steel. And we gave you about 15 or 16 rounds to do it, you know, and all right, here we go. Beep. And your, your time is your mm-hmm. score, you know, factoring giving, misses. Giving a limit on the rounds, I think, I, I wonder if it would have been as difficult for me had I've known, like another one of those weird mental tricks, right? Had I've been like, I can shoot as many rounds as I want. There would have been less pressure on each round that got fired, mm-hmm. but you kind of want a little bit more pressure on each yeah. round that gets fired to make sure that you're like really concentrating and, and focusing on each individual shot. But that was one thing that I know psyched me out a little bit because then if you missed one, it was like, ah, oh, no, like that was precious because now 
there's only three more rounds and there are shots or targets that I need to hit. And so you'd lose one, it would get in your head and then you're like, Oh shoot, this next one's got to be perfect. You know? And then you start all that thing that was making you shoot better on steel because you're thinking, I just got to hit the steel. It's easy. You miss one. You're like, Oh wait, I can miss a steel target. Like this one's got to be perfect. And then you shoot and you miss again. You're like, I only have one more opportunity to miss. Yep. A little bit of stress. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, 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 we weren't doing anything crazy. No. You know, nothing crazy at all. But, man, I, I, I love throwing guys into that drill at the end of the day. And just I love putting them in a competition. And, you know, that's why we give out, like, a prize the first place. And it's it's just a glass or a hat, you know. But you, you recognize the guy that, hey, he put it all together. Um, you're able to perform with all your peers. And, and you guys got kind of lucky. It was, like, just you two. And, you know, the camera crew and a couple of guys, Ryan was yeah. over there, you know, Pretty typically tight group people you're already comfortable yeah. being around. Yeah. But, you know, you uh, know I tried making you going to give you a hard time. Yeah. But like if we have a, uh, you know, class of 10 or 12 people, there's all these people and every single person's watching and that raises the stress level, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it, I think it's good for people to go through that. I, I love competition shooting in general. You know, I always... I always try to get people to go out and shoot competition. It, you know, three gun USPSA, it doesn't matter. I want you guys to feel match pressure. I want you guys to do it for real on the on the shot timer. I want you to do it where, you know, we didn't have any redos out there. It was one, and, and if you screwed up, that was your score. You get one opportunity to do this. Let's go. Beep. Mm. You only get one shot. Yep. One opportunity. One opportunity. For a lot of guys, it's probably like elementary, right? But I think there's also a lot of folks like in our boat. And to me, it just, again, another one of those things that illustrates like, you know, adding in something else, adding in something else. And that's one thing like that parallel between the pistol and the carbine training. It's like, okay, you did this. Okay, we're going to add in this, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. just like you're kind of baby stepping it up. But it's amazing. You introduce like just this little new thing and it becomes a big deal, though. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just, just like learning how. I don't Man, deal I, with all that stuff. I think I think one of the biggest things I've learned from doing the pistol thing, the rifle thing now, um, we got a few more things ahead to check out too. But it's kind of like, a lot like going to the gym. You see people, there's, there's two kinds of people. You know, there's one of these classic things, whatever. There's two kinds of people that go to the gym. There's the people that just go to the gym and they think the act of being at the gym and in clothing that isn't like regular everyday clothing. Right? So they put on the gym clothes and the gym shoes and they go over and they just kind of like walk around and maybe pick up some weights now and then. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'll rip out a few of these. Like there's really no mission whatsoever. They're just sort of there and they think that by osmosis, they'll just lose weight and get big and that, strong. That's and muscle, why we have muscular. athleisure now, Jim, so we can do that at home. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. People wearing athleisure are burning far more calories than Absolutely. those not. Anyway, <laughs> um, but, uh, but it's like when you, when you go to the range, and I've been 100% this guy before, you go to the range, you get a bunch of ammo, and you kind of set it all, you, you get out there, you're at the bench, you're like, all right, cool, I, there's a target down there at 100 yards. I, I'm sighted in, I think, last time at 100 yards, so I just... Ting, you know, you hit the steel like three times. You're like, okay, cool. She's still sighted in. And then you just sort of burn a bunch of rounds down, ringing steel. And you're like, ah, why don't I try those targets out there at 200 real quick? Ting, okay, cool. I'm on. And then you kind of just doink around. And then somebody walks by and they're like, what kind of gun's that? And you're like, this kind. Cool. Here, shoot it. Thanks. All right. Boom, boom. Cool. We're friends now. And then you go <laughs> home. And uh, that was that. And, and if you're just looking to just 
have some. There's nothing some wrong range. with that. That's not. There's nothing not, wrong if with if that. If you're looking to have some range therapy, awesome, right? But if you're actually looking to try and have like, if you do that exclusively, and then you go and you think to yourself, "I'm set up and ready if something bad happens or like something goes down where I'm going to need to use," it's like, I'm sorry, but you're not. You know, it's just like there's like you said too. There's nothing wrong if you just go to the gym to hang out. I mean, cool. But yeah, like I, I wouldn't expect it if you just go to the gym to hang out and you're just kind of like slapping hands and telling jokes. It's like don't expect to then win the Ironman when it comes to town. You know, it, it's it's like the people who go in with a little bit of a mission. And I don't know. I think that kind of stuff is fun too. Because after a while, I just am like, well, I've been doing the same thing for a long time, and I'm like not really getting that much better. I'm kind of getting bored. But when you go and you challenge yourself, that's where you actually start. You start seeing some kind of improvement. You have a little bit more fun because you're like, well, there's a reason for me being here. A little bit more reason, I think, for spending all the money on the ammo. You know, when you're like, okay, I, all that ammunition that I just saw and all that money that like went downrange, like, okay, it went to making me better. I think one of the great things about having a training plan or just, you know, shooting that drill, like 10 rounds in 30 seconds at 100 yards, you know, you're getting more bang for your buck. Absolutely. That's a 10 round drill, which I think is phenomenal. And, and you're getting way more bang for your buck. You're, you can track performance. You can see how, how much better you've been getting. You can make changes to how you're shooting. If you just go down and, and blast rounds, I, I, I don't think I've ever done that. Like, I'll always be working on something. I mean, mm-hmm. It might just be, hey, I'm shooting groups, but I've never just fired a gun to just fire it to make noise. It, I've never done that. It's, like, un-American to say, but at the same time, like, it eventually gets boring. Yeah. Like, just blasting just eventually gets boring. Right. So have a plan. Well, know? like you said, I mean, going to the gym, you're going to track your prog- progression there. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then same thing with being on the range. I think we were doing it, you know, a little while ago. I was, you know, I, maybe I wasn't that happy with how I performed that day. But then again, going back in those records and seeing, like, progression, like, okay. I've had, I, to, I've had to <laughs> talk Justin off the ledge a couple of times. You know, we've run into a drill, and he's like, ah, he's getting all mad. I'm like, hey, man, we ran this three months ago, and you're running at two seconds faster now oh mm-hmm. okay. which is like kind of crazy how significant that is no, but that's that is significant. hugely that is. Yeah. significant well again kind of going back to the shot timer how many rounds do you think you guys were getting off in a second you know with that quarter drill mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. you, had, you know five seconds and was it a second and a half so yeah. i mean if you looked at your splits i mean you can get a lot of rounds off in a second yeah and then going and going back into the situational awareness uh defense you know whether it's personal whatever mm-hmm. um again you kind of got to Take that into consideration, too, being, like, you know, the efficiency of motion and everything like that. I mean, if you're efficient, you can get a lot of accurate rounds off in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that kind of brings me up to, you know, when we run classes, like, nobody shows up to an eight-hour lecture on, on nutrition and fitness and, and expects to lose 30 pounds in a day, all right? That's, that's not how a gym works, you know? And it's kind of the same way with a training class. Like, we can, we can show you guys stuff. You can maybe see some improvement. But I, I really, eventually, we want to teach people how to train themselves, okay? Because mm-hmm. you, can't, you, can't you can't lose 50 pounds in a day, you know? It, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a plan, it, a lot of dedication, you know? With shooting, you, you don't just get better by going to a class. I, that is a huge misconception a lot of people have. You know, they just keep going back to the same class over and over, and they don't do anything in between. And, ah, I just kind of stay the same. I'm like... At some point with shooting, you have to learn how to teach yourself. You go to an instructor to learn the correct way to do things, some some drills, some skills that will help you out. But 
you know, eventually you you have to start doing it on on the side. Same reason it's okay to miss. If you're exactly. only ever just hitting everything, it's like, are you getting any better? Or are you just kind of like maintaining? Exactly. Yeah. You know, there was there was a time in my life where you know, hundred percent accuracy every single time, and there are certain times where it's like, hey, it is okay to fail, okay, because that that is how you're going to progress and get better. Um, man, I had a great example in a class I recently ran. Um, guy was a really really good. Really good shooter. He was a police officer for a number of years, and and he's doing a presentation from about seven yards, and you know he's got a round. He's got a group of like this at seven yards, and he's doing it about about a second. You know, and he just keeps going and going. He's just you can tell he's a hundred percent in his comfort zone, and he's just making it happen. And I'm like, all right, here's the thing. We got to get you to speed up a little bit, okay? I want you to be a little more efficient. Speed up. Still kind of the same one second pace, and 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 finally, I'm like, okay, Ron, I want you to shoot. As fast as you can go, I want you to get a C, okay? And finally, bam, goes down to six-tenths of a second and just nicks the edge of the A zone. I'm like, perfect. And he did it four more times in a row in exactly that amount of time because I gave him it's okay to miss, you know? And now the difference between one second and six-tenths of a second is a lifetime in shooting. Four-tenths of a second is a long time. It is. You know, that's that's more shots you can make or – Typically, human reaction time is about a quarter of a second. So if somebody was going to do something bad to him, and now he's doing something in four-tenths of a second faster than he did before, okay, he just outshot the guy that was making the move on him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's okay if, if you are learning to shoot faster, more efficiently, it is okay to miss from time to time. Now, if your target looks like Swiss cheese, <laughs> okay, we got to back off a little bit. we got to concentrate on some stuff. But, hey, that, that hit in the C zone every now and then is not a bad thing yep. if you're progressing. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Good stuff. Well, guys, we're talked for a little bit here. We did good. Appreciate you guys having us and uh, instructing us. And hopefully those of you who listen to this and also watch some of that video, you get to see some of the drills we were doing, and you get to have maybe a little bit of inspiration to uh, not only come out to Vortex Edge, definitely do that, but then also, you know, do some of this stuff at your own range as well. And, and like, like we were saying, I personally think it's way more fun doing some of this stuff. And the range therapy stuff, like, go ahead and do that too. I mean, that's like camaraderie. What a great American way to just spend some time. But, but yeah, mix some of this in there, especially if you consider yourself, hey, I may have to use this to protect myself, my family, whatever, at some point. That's, that's definitely pretty important. So, yeah, without uh, further ado, though, we do have some more stuff we got to learn, though, some more real-world stuff. Some more real-world stuff. And, and I'd say if you have some questions out there, we yes. probably have them, too. We've got a lot of great experts here. Yeah. Next Let up, us know. Mark, I heard I'm going to learn how to flip you over my shoulder and onto a mat and just snap you in half. The moment you've been waiting for. This is should be good. All right. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram, at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.